Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of Grace Point Church in Atlantic, Iowa. My name is Don McLean. I'm the senior pastor here at Grace Point. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can check us out at gracepointatlantic.com. And in the meantime, grab your Bible and check out this week's sermon. Hebrews chapter 4, 14 through 16. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Good morning. <laughs> it's great to be together. I, I, it's snowing out, right? That's what I heard. <laughs> Laura said it was sunny and snowing at the same time as when uh, a few minutes ago anyway. Uh, <clears throat> short passage today, but a, a pivotal one as we move, uh, continue to move ahead into the argument of Hebrews. Um, so I just wanted to say good morning and uh, welcome everybody. If you're visiting today, I'm, my name is Don McLean. I'm uh, the lead pastor here, and uh, it's great to be with you. Uh, I was going to mention the special business meeting, but I don't really need to because Andrew told you what you need. Uh, it's after uh, service next week. The one thing I'll add is if uh, he mentioned an email, and, and uh, we sent out an email from the Board of Elders uh, just with some direction as you're thinking ahead to that in terms of what we're thinking. Um, if you didn't get that email, it's because we don't have you on our all-church prayer email list. It's not like we purposely left you off or something. So uh, if, if, if you said email, what email, and you'd like to be on our all-church email list, uh, please let me know or contact the church office. Just send the church office an email at church at gracepointatlantic.com, um, and we'd be very happy to add you to that list in case we missed you. So... But uh, yeah, keep praying. Uh, we'll be praying tonight uh, corporately. We'll be praying. Um, we're continuing to pray individually uh, over these last four, uh, last three weeks, one more week of prayer as a church. And then we'll, we'll uh, begin to move forward as we say goodbye to the Johnsons, but look ahead to what God has for us next. So that's all next week. Uh, our task ahead of us now is Hebrews. So uh, let's pray and ask for the Lord's help. Lord, thank you so much for bringing us here this morning. Thank you for watching over us. Thank you for guiding our paths to this place. Uh, we thank you for those who are, are joining us online as well, Lord. And uh, we just ask that you will uh, glorify Jesus this morning, even as we just uh, sang his glory and, and uh, prayed uh, to, to your glory. We would ask now that you'd help us to learn to your glory and, and that you would take uh, these three verses and the rich, deep, important truth that's here and apply it to our lives, Lord. Uh, help us to, to understand and to understand what it means for us. And so we look to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. About a month ago, uh, back in, uh, I guess it was the last week of February, there was uh, an ice storm in eastern Michigan. And uh, the Detroit Ann Arbor area was particularly hard hit. And on the night of the storm, there was a police officer out on patrol. So he was out just kind of doing his best to make sure everybody was safe and keep, keeping things out, uh, out, out there in, uh, in Ann Arbor. 
And uh, about 8 o'clock, he uh, came upon a tree that had fallen into an intersection. So this big old tree had fallen down into uh, an intersection of two relatively busy streets there in Ann Arbor. And, uh, it was, and so it was blocking both streets. And so he stopped the patrol car, and he got out, and he started to uh, clear away some of the branches. And, and his goal was to just clear enough so that cars could get around it, that, you know, the crews would come in later and, and remove the actual tree. But, good, you know, good for him. He's there in the dark, right, trying to clear away this tree. Uh, a few minutes after he got started, a van pulled up, and uh, the driver of the van, it was a man, got out, and he offered to help. You know, can I help you, officer? And the officer looked at him, and he said, sure. And he uh, went to his patrol car, and he got out a, a pair of um, work gloves that he had. He had an extra pair of work gloves, gave it to this man, and, and the two of them together uh, began to clear away this tree and took him, I don't know, 20 minutes, half an hour, whatever. Not the whole tree, but, but they removed enough branches so that the other cars could get by and everything would be fine. And, uh, you know, I tell you that story, it's a real nice little example. It's the kind of thing we'd all like to think we would do. We'd like to think we'd stop and help. And, but uh, the fun part of that story, the, the thing that made it a news story, was that the driver of the van who stopped was Jim Harbaugh. And, and those of you who uh, follow college football know who that is. Jim Harbaugh is the head coach of one of America's premier football programs. He's the head coach of uh, the University of Michigan Wolverines. We probably don't have a lot of Wolverines fans around here, but we'll give them credit for being a good program. And uh, that's who was driving. And he, he was, just happened to be out. He wasn't, you know, he, it wasn't a publicity stunt. He didn't set out in the middle of an ice storm to, to find somebody to help so he could get in the news. But, but that's who it was. Jim Harbaugh, he stopped and he ended up helping this police officer clear away the tree. Well, today I want to talk about someone who helps us. Uh, and the helper I want to talk about is even better than a famous football coach. Our helper is Jesus. Uh, we are working through the first half of Hebrews this spring here at our church. And uh, let me just recap a little bit for, for, of what we've been learning in Hebrews. Uh, well, so far we've learned that uh, Hebrews is about endurance, hence the title of my series, Enduring Courage. Uh, it's about uh, giving us. Uh, that, that's really what Hebrews is about. We think of all the Old Testament theology, but, but its main point is really to help believers in Jesus Christ press on, to press on in our faith. Uh, we've also seen that Hebrews was originally written for a specific audience, and that's where the parts we usually think of with this book come uh, into our heads. Uh, we all get to read Hebrews now, but originally it was written for Jewish people who had become Christians. And so it was written for that first generation of Jewish converts to Christianity. And that's why there's so much Old Testament in the book of Hebrews. Uh, the author is, is intentionally helping Jewish believers understand where Jesus fits in their Old Testament, right? In their scriptures, right? If you were a Gentile convert, you, you had to learn the Old Testament and it was very meaningful to you, it became meaningful to you. But if you were a Jewish convert, you'd, you'd been steeped in what you and I now call the Old Testament. And so the author of Hebrews spends a lot of time telling us how Jesus fulfills and really supersedes. He, 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 he's greater than the old covenant. It's a very important thing for them to understand. And so we've talked about how Jesus is greater. So he's greater than the angels. That's the first two chapters. Uh, and, and that really established him, his identity as fully God and fully man. Uh, we've talked about how Jesus is greater than Moses, and therefore he's greater than the law. Uh, he, he provides a greater rest. That was actually the last passage we looked at two weeks ago. Uh, Jesus gives 
us a greater rest than anything that the Jews could have found in the promised land. Uh, well, now, and, and I'm taking a shorter passage on purpose, uh, next week we'll kind of continue with some of the same stuff that we're talking about today, but, but today's text is, is pivotal because now we see that Jesus is also greater than Aaron. So he's greater than Moses, he's greater than the angels, he's also greater than Aaron. And Aaron, if you don't remember who Aaron was, Aaron was the first high priest of Israel. In fact, and, and a lot of times we sort of short shrift Aaron in comparison to Moses. You'll remember they were brothers. But, but Aaron's very, very important. So important, in fact, that the priesthood is, is even named after the guy. Uh, when we talk about the priesthood of ancient Israel, it actually has a name that theologians will use. We call it the Aaronic priesthood, right? The whole, the whole priesthood, that whole line, that whole sacrificial system was administered by the Aaronic priesthood, the priesthood of Aaron. And so Aaron was also pretty great, right? We talked about Moses being the greatest of all time. Well, uh, Aaron was the greatest of all priests. He was the first and foremost of all the priests. And Jesus is greater than him. That's what the author now wants us to see. Jesus is greater. So yes, Aaron was pretty great, but Jesus is even greater. And that's why our, our, this, this uh, pivot here that takes place, it starts in verse 14. He says, we have a great high priest. We have a great high priest. Yeah, Aaron was pretty great, but Jesus is far, far greater. And that's why, so he's, it's a very important theological assertion, but he actually goes right to the practical. And, and it'll, again, we'll talk about this more next week, but there's a very practical takeaway from the high priesthood of Jesus, and that is, it is that he is perfectly qualified to help us when we're tempted. He's perfectly qualified. That's the practical lesson in verses 14 and 15 and, and 16. Jesus is perfectly qualified to help us when we're tempted to sin. And we all know what that's like. We all know what it's like to be tempted. Uh, we understand that experience. Why? Because it is, it is inherent to being human. If you're human, you know what it's like to be tempted. Uh, and that doesn't mean to say we're all tempted by the same things. The specifics, the details are different from one person to another. Uh, but, but the experience of being tempted is universal. At every time period, every era, every every. every uh, we're all, we all know what that's like. But if you're a Christian... Jesus can help you. That's, that's the good news in this text. If you're a Christian, Jesus can help you. He's qualified to help us when we're tempted. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to show why that's true from these three verses. And so I actually want to talk about three reasons why, right? Three reasons why Jesus can help us when we're tempted. And so we'll kind of lay out the, it's, it's a very kind of Christ-focused in terms of who he is and what the theology is here. And then at the end, I, I'll just talk about what God wants us to do with that. Because Jesus can help us when we're tempted, there's two ways this text tells us to respond. And so we'll, we'll close with that when we get there. So, so let's get into it. Let's start with these three reasons. Uh, reason number one, the first reason Jesus is qualified to help when we're tempted is that Jesus connects us to God. This is how he can help us. He connects us to God. He bridges the gap. You see, this is what a priest does. This is what a priest does. A priest bridges the gap between heaven and earth. And so if you ask, how can Jesus help me? Well, he helps me uh, by bridging the gap between us and God. He connects us to God. Uh, that's what we're introduced to in verse 14. So since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. 
Jesus, the Son of God. He spells it out, lest we wonder who it is we're talking about. It's Jesus, the Son of God. Since we have that, let us hold fast to our confession. So he starts in verse 14. Jesus is our great high priest. And so you can see why there's a shift here. We haven't used this kind of language yet. We've been talking about Jesus being greater than Moses, greater than Joshua, uh, all, all, you know, greater than angels. But now, wait, he's your priest too. He's your great high priest. And, and in the assertion here, the idea is that he's greater than anyone else who's ever held that office. He's, he's greater than any, anyone else who ever held the, the office of high priest. Why is he greater? Well, he's greater because of the way he's described. Uh, he's greater because he passed through the heavens. Right? So since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. <laughs> so what does that mean? That becomes a pretty pivotal phrase in terms of understanding this text. What does it mean that Jesus passed through the heavens? Uh, You won't be surprised to hear there's a couple of options, uh, but I'm just going to tell you the one I think it is. Uh, The the best way to take this is that this is a kind of a poetic way to describe the ascension and uh, what we call the, you know, being seated at the right hand of the Father. So when it says he passed through the heavens, it's talking about the ascension. So Jesus, we'll celebrate it in two weeks from today. Jesus rose from the dead, and then he spent 40 days here on earth in his glorified body training his disciples, and then he ascended into heaven. You can read about it in Acts chapter 1. And he, he went up through the heavens. He passed through the heavens. And where is he now? He's now seated at the right hand of the Father. We were actually told this earlier in Hebrews. We're actually told it back in chapter 1, verse 3, which is why I I think that's the right way to interpret it here. Uh, Hebrews 1, 3 says, After Jesus made purification for sins, that's what a priest does. We'll talk about that more in, in succeeding passages. But this is what a priest does. A priest offers a sacrifice. In Jesus' case, the sacrifice was himself. Good Friday's coming. That's what this is all about, right? So Jesus uh, made purification for sins, Hebrews 1, 3. After he did that, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. What verse 14 is saying is that it worked. It worked. His work on the cross worked. That's why he sat down. Right? You don't sit down till the work is done. Right? I'm not going to go sit down now while I preach. When the sermon's done, I'll go sit down. Right? Or you think of any work that we do. We sit down when the work is done. That's, it's, it's why it's so significant that Jesus goes into heaven and sits down. It's not because he was tired. It's because he was done. And so it's this, it's this idea that he passed through the heavens. He's the high priest who's done with his work. You compare that to the Aaronic priesthood in the Old Testament. They had to keep doing it. Right, year after year, right? Aaron would have to come back. He would go in, he'd offer the sacrifice, and then he'd have to come back and do it again next year. Right? He'd, he'd have to keep repeating it. But not Jesus. Jesus, his work is done. It accomplished what it was supposed to do. Because of that, we have access. And again, this is a, we're introducing a theme that comes up later in the book, but this is nice because we get to talk about it several times. But, but he is our mediator, Right, so right now, where's Jesus? Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, giving you and me access to the Father. We have access to the Father through Jesus. This is why we're going to be told in verse 16 to draw near. Right, draw near to the throne of grace. How can we draw near to the throne of grace? We can do it because of Jesus. We have access through Jesus. He, we're connected. He connects us. Jesus connects us to God. Again, you compare that to the old covenant. 
no one could draw near to the, to the throne of grace. Almost no one could draw near to the throne of grace under the old covenant. So what's the throne? If you think about the, the, under the old covenant, there was a temple in Jerusalem. And before they built the temple, there was that tent, the tabernacle in the wilderness. And the tabernacle and the temple both had uh, a temple proper. You know, there were the courtyards and all that. But then there was the building proper. And the building had two rooms. There was an outer room that priests could go into daily. And then there was an inner room that only the high priest went into only once a year. And inside of that inner room was a box. We call it the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant had a top on it called the mercy seat. And that mercy seat is what he's talking about when he talks about the earthly version of the throne of grace. So where's the throne of grace to a Jewish conception of looking at this? It's the, it's the mercy seat. It's the top of that ark where once a year the high priest would go into that inner room and pour the blood of the sacrifice on that throne of grace, on that mercy seat, and then God, and he'd have to go in once a year and do that. So under the old covenant, the high priest was the only person who ever drew, new, drew near to the throne of grace. Right? Who would draw near to the throne of grace under the old covenant? One guy. He would go in there once a year, one guy once a year, and he'd get out of there as quick as he could because it was dangerous to get that close to God. Right? And that there's, there's several stories in the Old Testament of bad things that happened to people who approached care, uh, carelessly and uh, just... just not paying attention. And so, uh, and so uh, one guy, once a year, very, very carefully. Compare that to what the author of Hebrews is telling us about our position now. He says, we all get to draw near. Through Jesus, we all get to draw near. Common people like us, and we're absolutely the common people under that old system. We're, none of us were high priests. So common people like us who would have never ever in our entire lives, never once would we have drawn near to the throne of grace. Now we can draw near to him whenever we want, right? So now anybody can draw near to God through Jesus, not just once a year, but anytime, and not just anytime, but with confidence, right? So not with this fear that you would see under the old covenant. Now Jesus invites us to draw near to the Father anytime we want with confidence. How does that help us when we're tempted? Well, it helps us a lot. Right? It helps us a lot in terms of the personal aspect of this. We talk about having a personal relationship with Jesus. And, you know, you won't find one verse that says that. Instead, it's just everywhere, including a passage like this. It helps us so much when we're tempted to be able to draw near personally to our God. Think about it this way. I want you to think back to the last time you had to take a big test. When's the last time you had to take a big test? So for some of you students, it was like last week or the week before, right? You know, you had to take a big test. Others of us, it was decades ago. But, you know, sometime when you had to take a test, right? And, and it was important, or maybe it wasn't even school. You know, maybe it was a test you needed to graduate, but maybe it was like a licensing thing for your field. You had to take a test to be licensed. Uh, whatever it was for, uh, it was probably stressful. <laughs> and, and one of the things that made it stressful was that you were on your own. Right? This wasn't one of those group tests, right? This was you were on your own. If you passed, you got what you were hoping for. If you failed, you didn't. And it was just you and the test, right? It was all riding. It all depended on you, how you did on the test. No one can help you. Now imagine how it would have gone if the teacher was allowed to help. Right? Imagine you're sitting there and you're taking the, you're taking the ACT, right? A lot, of, a lot of folks take the ACT, right? So you're taking the ACT. You come to a problem you don't understand. You raise your hand. 
Excuse me, ma'am, I don't know how to do number six. I, I remember learning this, but I can't remember. Can you help me? She's like, sure. And she comes over and she starts, you know, she, you know it's not letter A because of this. And you, here's what you need to do. And you, you carry the one. And, you, and she walks you through the whole thing. And you're like, thank you. She says, so the, the answer is a C. Thank you. That's great. Okay, good. And then, you know, you take two more and you're like, excuse me, ma'am, I got another one, right? And, and she comes over again, she helps you, right? The proctor comes over, the teacher comes over, whatever the, the test is. Right? And she's very happy and very glad to walk you through. All you had to do was draw near. All you had to do was ask. That's what we have access to, thanks to Jesus Christ. Jesus brings us to God. He connects us to God, which means you and I, as we think about the, the tests in, 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 in Greek, it's, it's the same concept. Tests, tempting, they're, they're the same root word. The tests you and I face, as we face them, we have access to the greatest temptation-resisting power in the universe through our access to God, through Jesus Christ. God himself, the one who made us, right? The one who knows how we tick because he made us. The one who gave us these desires and longings that we're struggling with. Yes, they've been corrupted by the fall, but he wired us that way. He gave us these things, that, that, whether it's hunger for, for connection or hunger for whatever it is, right? The, the things that are at the root of our temptations. We're going to the one who knows us better than we know our own selves. We say, help me. He says, come close. Draw near my son. Draw near my daughter. Let me help you with that temptation. And so it, it helps us directly. Jesus connects us to God, and it's a, it's a very real thing in terms of the temptations that we face. So that's the first part of it. That's reason number one. Jesus is qualified to help us when we're tempted. He, he's qualified because he connects us to God. Number two, the second reason he's qualified to help us when we're tempted is that he also has compassion on our struggle. He understands us. He gets it. He knows what it's like. And so not only does Jesus bring us to God, but then he, he also sympathizes with us. He sympathizes with us as he does. He has compassion on our struggle. And we see this in, in verse 15 in this text. He, he uses explanatory language. So let us hold fast. Here's why. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So Jesus knows what it's like. That's what, that's what verse 15 says. Jesus knows what it's like for human beings to be tempted. Why? Because he's fully human. He knows what it's like for humans to be tempted because he's human. We've established that already. You can see why it was so important for the author to get this in our heads back in chapter 2. Do you remember Hebrews 2.14? Uh, since, therefore, the children, that's us, the humans, so therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, yep, here we are, right? You cut us, we bleed. We share in flesh and blood. Since that's the case, he himself likewise partook of the same things. Or as the NIV, NIV puts it, it's clearer in the NIV, he too shared in their humanity. He too shared in their humanity. Jesus was and is fully human. And because he is, he knows firsthand what it's like to be tempted. That's what verse 15 says. We see this in the Gospels, right? Lest we think the author's just making stuff up here. Uh, we see it in the Gospels. At the beginning of his ministry... Right, right after his baptism, uh, the Holy Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. Right? Three of the four Gospels tell us about it. Uh, the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. And for 40 days, 
Jesus was tempted by Satan in the desert. Uh, we also see it at the end of his ministry, right? Jesus is tempted in the Garden of Gethsemane. That, that's what's going on there. That passage isn't just like for show or, you know, to kind of just, you know, part of, you know, to make the story more interesting. He is tempted. Actually, there's a recapitulation of what Adam and Eve went through, right? They were tempted in a garden and failed. Jesus is tempted in a garden and succeeds, right? But, but his temptation was genuine. When, when Jesus prays, Father, not my, you know, I, I don't want to do it, right? My translation, uh, he, he is genuinely tempted there to reject uh, the Father's will in the garden. And so he's genuinely tempted at the beginning of his ministry. He's genuinely tempted at the end. But it isn't just those two times. Right? I think sometimes we think that. We think, okay, well, you know, he's tempted once, he's tempted twice, you know, good. You know, and, and it was all smooth sailing all the times in between. That's not what Hebrews 4.15 says. It says uh, he, he was tempted in every respect, it says. Uh, the, what we see is that Jesus experienced What the claim is here is that Jesus experienced all the sorts of temptations that come with being human. That's the claim here. He experienced all of the sorts of temptations that come with being human. And so Jesus got hungry. Anybody miss breakfast this morning? He got hungry, which means he was tempted sometimes to get cranky. Right? When, 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 his, when his blood sugar was a little low. I have, I have sinned probably against my poor wife more times than I, I should admit. Uh, for, just because I was hungry. Right? That whole, what's that, hangry? Isn't there like some, some joke that goes around? You know, he's, he's angry because he's hungry. Uh, Jesus would have been tempted that way. Uh, he got tired. We know he got tired. We see him uh, fall asleep in the boat. He got tired, which means he was tempted sometimes to, you know, what do you do when you're tired? Are you ever tempted to procrastinate? Are you tempted to check out? Are you tempted to do less than your best? Or maybe even to fudge on, on the project you're working on? That would have been a temptation for Jesus. Uh, Jesus felt physical pain. We know that he was subject to physical pain, just like we are, which means he would have been tempted to whining and self-pity. All right? You don't want to be around me when I get a cold, right? I'm such a whiner. He would have been tempted that way. Uh, Jesus was an adult human male, which means he would have been tempted sometimes by sexual impurity. Uh, Jesus spent a lot of time with people, which means there must have been times when when those people tempted him with a, a juicy bit of gossip. right? Some rumor they'd heard in the first century lunchroom that they kind of wanted to offer to him. On and on we could go. All those kinds of temptations that we experience... The claim here is that he experienced them too. He experienced those temptations too. Now, I will say this. We need a clarification here. This is not saying that Jesus experienced every single temptation that we experience. Sometimes we get a little confused on this verse. So Jesus experienced every temptation that could possibly be experienced by a human human being. That's actually not even logical. If, if you think about it, uh, there are temptations we face in our modern world that were inaccessible to him, right? That he would not have been tempted by. So uh, Jesus would not have ever been tempted to uh, spend too much time on his phone, right? I mean, it, 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 that's an impossible temptation uh, for him to, to face. Uh, but the, the point, the claim here is that he was tempted in the same categories, He's tempted in the same categories. So yeah, he was never tempted to spend too much time on his phone, but he was certainly tempted to be rude, right? To be rude to people or thoughtless to people, 
right? Or he was, you know, he was never tempted to, to lie on his resume because they didn't have resumes in the first century. But he would have been tempted to stretch the truth to make himself, you know, to, to benefit himself somehow in the eyes of somebody else. That would have been a very human temptation that would have presented itself to Jesus. So, so when we look at verse 15, it isn't saying he experienced every single possible temptation that a human being can experience. It's saying that he experienced all sorts of temptations all through his life. Here's the most important part. Just like we do. He knows just what that's like. And that's why he can help us. That's why he can help us. He can help us because he knows what it's like. He he sympathizes is the word this uses, and it's a word that means compassion, to have compassion on. He sympathizes with our weaknesses because he shared in those weaknesses. He's on your side. He's on our side in this thing. Uh, Let me ask you, how do you think about Jesus? Or let me put it this way. How do you think Jesus looks at you when you're tempted by something? So just imagine a temptation that's a hard one for you, whatever it might be. Uh, how do you imagine Jesus responds when you're tempted by that thing? Does he scowl at you? Does, does his mouth curl up in disgust? Uh, does, he, does he put to his, hand, his hand to his head like this and just go, oh man, here he goes again. I can't believe it. Is that how you imagine the Lord of the universe responding to you when you're tempted? If it is, you're wrong. <laughs> You're wrong. He's not scowling. His lip is not curled in disgust. On the contrary, he looks at us with compassion. He looks at us, it says, with sympathy. After all, he's been there. He's been there himself. He knows how hard it is. He knows what it's like to be tempted. And so he is qualified to help us because not only does he connect us to God, but he also has compassion on us. He wants to help us. He cares about us. He loves us. And he understands what we're going through. But then, friends, it gets even better than that because not only does he know know what temptation is like, more importantly, he knows how to beat it. He knows how to defeat it. And that brings us to the reason number three. Uh, The third reason he's qualified is that he conquered every temptation he faced. So Jesus can help us. He's qualified to help us when we're tempted because he conquered the temptations every time he faced them. That's what the the last part of verse 15 says. Uh, And it's just three words, right? It's three little words. Uh, In fact, I'll let you in on a secret. It's only two words in Greek. (laughs) Two little words. And yet they might be two of the most important words in the whole Bible. Jesus was tempted as we are, yet without sin. Yet without sin. He was tempted like we're tempted, but he never sinned like we sin. Never once. He succeeded where we fail. And you say, how does that help me? <laughs> I mean, it helps me because it means he was a perfect sinless sacrifice, and that's an issue that, 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 that his whole um, eligibility to be the perfect sacrifice comes up later. Uh, so we understand it helps us that way, but how does it help me say no to temptation right now, the fact that Jesus never sinned? How does that help us now? And the answer is that if we go to him with their temptations we got to do what the verbs say. we got to draw near. But if we go to him with the temptations, he shows us how to do it. Right? The nearer we draw close to him, the, more, the closer we get to him, the better off we get with this. He shows us how to do it. Think of it this way. Uh, if you wanted to learn how to do something well, right? so let's say you wanted to learn how to do something really well, it would make a whole lot of sense to go find someone who already knows how to do it really well. 
Right? It's just a kind of a basic principle. And so if you wanted to learn how to shoot baskets, go find someone who shoots baskets really well. Or if you want to learn how to garden, go find someone whose garden's really good, right? Who's a really good gardener. Go find someone like that. Or if you want to learn to bake a cake, you know, it would be really smart to go find someone who's really good at baking cakes, right? Don't go to someone like me and I'm going to be like, well, here's a Duncan Hines box and, you know, you get an egg. You, know? you don't want me to teach you to bake a cake. You want someone who really knows what they're doing, who's like, you can give them like flour and duct tape and they'll make the most awesome cake ever. That's what you want. When it comes to overcoming temptation, part of what we're saying is just as simple as that, right? If we, if we want to overcome temptation, it would be really, really smart to draw near to the person who overcame temptation more successfully than anyone else who ever lived. And so what are we saying? We're saying we, we look to his example, right? We look to his example. Uh, what, did, what did Jesus do when people attacked him? Right? So are you under attack and you're tempted to strike back? Well, what did Jesus do when people, uh, when, when people attacked Jesus? Uh, how did he respond when people slandered him? How did, how did Jesus keep his relationships with the opposite sex completely pure? How did he do that? We know he didn't hide from women, right? He's, he's, the women were part of, of his followers. So what did he do then? What did he do? What can, we, what can we learn from the, from the Bible? How did he treat authority? How did he respond to authority figures? Uh, how did he, uh, what, did, what did he do when, when people lied to him, betrayed him, cheated on him? Uh, the more we learn about Jesus from being in the Scripture, the better equipped we become to, to overcome our own temptations. We, we, and I, it became a little bit of a cliche there for a while, but it's still a really good question. What would Jesus do? Right? It becomes that, that idea of looking to him as our example. So that's part of this, but, but it's only part of it, right? It's, it's really, it's, it's, it, because it's not only that we have his example, this is saying that we also have his help. This, pa- this passage says we also have his active help. That's what you get in the last part of verse 16. That's the promise there. And as I say, I, I was looking at this even as I was getting ready to come up. I'm thinking, I wonder if I should have taken the bigger section. But it, we'll, we'll take 1 through 10 next week and come back to some of these same themes. But verse 16 tells us, it says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So he doesn't just show us how to overcome temptation. He helps us overcome temptation. That's the promise there. Right? It's not just his example and you know, technique and bounce your eyes and pray every morning and all these kind of you know, 10 ways to avoid temptation. You know, I'll preach that sermon some other time, but this is bigger than that. It's not just technique. It's mercy and grace. Right? Verse 16 says, that's the reason we draw near to the throne of grace. We draw near so that we may receive something from him. What? Mercy and grace. We may receive mercy, find grace. For what? To help when? In our time of need. <laughs> If we're talking about temptation, when's the time of need? It's when we're tempted, right? That's the time of need. Call it spiritual, call it mystical, call it whatever you want. But what verse 16 is saying is that he'll help. Jesus, our great high priest, will help us. If we draw near to him when we're tempted, he will help. That brings us to the therefore, the therefore in this text. Uh, What does God want us to do with this? 
All right, so this is pretty rich theology, and, and it, like I say, we're going to talk about it some more. Uh, but but, but how, how, how does he want us to respond to this? What does my God want me to do with this? Well, the answer to that question, what do we, what do, we do, is found in the two verbs. There are two main verbs in this short little paragraph. It's just three, past, three, three verses today. And I've intentionally steered around the verbs. You could probably tell me what they are yourself because we keep reading them, but I haven't talked about them yet. But the two verbs tell us what to do. The first is in verse 14. Let us hold fast. Let us hold fast to our confession. Since we have a great high priest like Jesus, let us hold fast to our confession. That is, don't give up. Right? Remember, it's a book about enduring courage. Don't give up. No matter what happens, this, this is one of his big points. No matter what happens, hold on to your faith. Don't abandon the ancient paths. Don't quit. Don't drift away. Remember that from chapter 2. Don't turn back. If you're persecuted, if you're suffering, if you're discouraged, if you're diseased, if you're under attack, whatever it is, remember your great high priest. Remember Jesus, the Son of God, and hold fast. That's what God wants us to do with this. We've got all these resources. We've got him advocating to to the Father on our behalf. Therefore, don't give up. Hold fast to your confession. The confession is the confession that Christ is Lord and we're saved by grace. that, That confession is a shorthand way of saying your faith in Jesus. Hold fast. Hold fast to it. The other main verb, and therefore the other response, is in verse 16, and it's let us draw near. Because Jesus helps us when we're tempted, let us draw near to him with confidence. Therefore, don't give in. Don't give up and don't give in. That's the second uh, takeaway from this. When temptation comes, don't give in. Uh, Remember, you're not alone. Right? You're not alone in the temptations you face. I, I said it before, it's, it's, it's endemic to the human experience. We all know what it's like. So if you're, whatever you're tempted by, I can guarantee you, you are not the only one to experience that temptation. Uh, at least some of us have been there with that same one. But more importantly, quite honestly, right? It's, it's good enough to know we're not alone in this. We've got each other. But far more importantly, Jesus knows what it's like. Jesus knows what it's like. He's been there. Right? He, he's experienced it too. And what's more, he didn't just experience temptation. He overcame it. He, he conquered every temptation he faced. And because of that, he is, he is perfectly qualified. Right? I mean, I, I might be able to help you with the temptation you're facing, but I am not even close to perfectly qualified. Only Jesus is perfectly qualified to help us with our temptations. So, so don't give in. Right? Yeah, and there's grace. We'll talk about that. But, but there's, there's forgiveness. That's all part of his high priesthood too. But our default should be to say, yeah, I'm not going to give in. I'm going to hold fast to my Savior. I'm going to draw near to the throne of grace so that he can help me in my time of need. Would you please pray with me? Let's uh, ask for his help with that. Lord Jesus, we are so encouraged uh, and and comforted by this passage this morning. Uh, This is hard for us, Lord. And I'm not telling you something you don't know, because you tell us in this passage, and we see in the Gospels, that you experience the same sorts of things yourself. Uh, We struggle with our temptations. They discourage us. They leave us feeling weak sometimes. Sometimes we feel ashamed, uh, not even because we gave in, but just by the very thing that we're tempted by. And yet you're so kind to us. You're so gracious. Uh, You became one of us. You walked among us. 
And we, we love you, Lord. We praise you and celebrate you as the one who overcame every temptation as you walked 30-plus years, probably closer to 35 years on this earth. Uh, you were tempted just as we are, and yet completely and totally without sin. Thank you for inviting us into your presence. Thank you for making a way for us to approach your throne. Uh, thank you, Lord, that we can come to you anytime and with confidence. There's no appointment book. There's no forms to fill out. There's no waiting room. We don't have to call ahead to get on your calendar. Uh, we are always welcomed into your presence, and you're always ready to help. And so that's our prayer today, Lord. I pray that you'd help us as we think about those areas, uh, each one of us, uh, where we're tempted. As we think about those, even right now, please help us with them, Lord. Grant us that grace that the author talks about. Show us your mercy. Give us your power, your strength, your resolve to stand firm. Help us not to give in and help us not to give up. All this we ask in the name of Jesus Christ, our great high priest, Jesus, the Son of God. Amen.